Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. And welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. I am here today with my lovely co-host, Valerie. Valerie, how are you? I am good. I just realized my camera is very dirty. But other than that, I'm good. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I went to the beach uh, of North Carolina, so the coast, this past weekend. And that was so much fun. Um, I am tired but um happy so <laughs> yeah that's what the beach that's what the beach does to people it makes them get their vitamin c in yeah that's very true <laughs> i got my vitamin d this weekend so um i don't know if we've talked about it but i really got interested in dungeons and dragons through a couple podcasts i listened to that are obviously not harry potter related and finally my whole group of people that i've been able to join had our first day of our campaign and I was very proud of myself for all of you listening who are like, oh, what happened? How'd it go? I slayed the final two baddies at the end. Like, I finished the battle. I took them out one, two in a single move after having a couple rough rolls, which anyone who knows D&D knows that's just how the game goes. That is amazing. I do not know what any of that means. However, I've always said I wanted to play, so maybe you'll inspire me to try to get... Uh, maybe I'll get my friend group to play or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's way fun. Like the podcast that I listened to got me into it because it sounds so much fun and it is very fun. There's like, it's like 50% playing and 50% joking and just talking with your friends, which is exactly what you want a game to be. So do you feel like I need to listen to a podcast so I'm like really prepared? Because you know, I mean, I'm not Hermione, but I do, I'm very studious and I don't like going into things blind. Yeah, it will certainly help you understand the mechanics of the game if you listen to, there's like a bunch of good D&D podcasts. It, it'll give you a sense of like, okay, that's how it works. Like that's what you do and it's your turn, etc. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I like to win. I know you like to win, so a little competitive. Yeah, well, D&D is not something you can win. And I I know we're like way off on a different track here but it's just like you just want to like get through the campaign and not die it's like it's not winning it's just not dying <laughs> that's it <laughs> you know that actually works because the only game i was decent at when i was growing up uh was like either like dodgeball or pylon ball or whatever i never got hit i was so like little and fast that i could just not be get hit so the idea was not dying so i feel like <laughs> i could i could be good at that we found the game for you yeah there we go <laughs> Yeah, I actually don't know. Um, I've never really looked, but I've heard a lot of other companies are starting getting into designing their own tabletop games, like Disney's getting into one for Marvel, etc. And so I'd be curious if there's a Harry Potter tabletop game that's actually any good, because it's really hard to make a good tabletop game. Mm. Um, but it would be fun if they did have one like that. Yeah, if you're listening and you know of one, I insist that you let us know. Email, Instagram, whatever, let us know. Yeah, hit us up on social media at Pod. Yes, please. You can find us there. Anyway, if you are tuning in today and it is your first episode, you need to go back and start at episode one because we are reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince 
backward. So luckily for you, there's only a few episodes between here and there. Or unluckily, if you want to binge a whole bunch of episodes. But then just wait a couple days and there'll be a bunch more episodes for you. Because we are doing something different this season where we are doing one chapter per episode. So every single episode is its own chapter. And we are diving into chapter 27 today. Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Chapter 27, The Lightning Struck Tower. The chapter begins with Harry apparating himself and Dumbledore to Hogsmeade. Dumbledore is extremely ill and can barely walk without the assistance of Harry. They are immediately alerted by Madame Rosemurta that the Dark Mark has been seen at Hogwarts. With renewed strength, Dumbledore leads Harry back to Hogwarts via broomstick. Malfoy arrives just after they do at the top of the astronomy tower with one purpose in mind to kill Professor Dumbledore. Dumbledore uses his last few precious seconds to protect Harry and renders him frozen and silent under his invisibility cloak. After minutes of conversation with Malfoy, Dumbledore is able to piece together how the Death Eaters have gotten into the castle with Malfoy's assistance via the matching vanishing cabinets. In the end, Malfoy is unable to finish the task the Dark Lord assigned him, and Snape is the one to render the final blow that kills Albus Dumbledore. Whew, this is a heavy one. And the final sentence in this chapter is... For a split second, Dumbledore seemed to hang suspended beneath the shining skull, and then he fell slowly backward like a great rag doll over the battlements and out of sight. We obviously knew where we were going from the last episode, but it is really hard to read these chapters where Dumbledore is not fully in his power anymore. You know, this chapter, Dumbledore is, he's incapacitated because he's been drinking the potion in the cave, which we'll cover in a future episode. And so he's not that commanding, powerful presence that we've come to rely on him to be in these kinds of situations. Yes, it is hard to see, to see Dumbledore that way, to see him so defenseless, maybe. Hmm, That's a good word for it. Um, I have a question, actually, about that. So when they arrive back at Hogsmeade, Dumbledore immediately starts telling Harry, I need Snape. I need Snape. Go to the castle and get me Snape. Do you think he's asking for Snape as potion master or as I know I'm dying and he's the guy who needs to guide me through this? I was hoping you would ask that because I also had that question and I'm not sure. I think that Snape could have helped him with the poison because he has ingested a poison and I would assume that as the potions master he should be able to give him something to help him or let him know like you know whether that would kill him or not but since it didn't kill creature although he is a different species I would think that he also could survive it with the help of you know Snape. Yeah, that's a good point. What did you think? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure in reading it. Because Harry's saying, I think you need Madame Pomfrey. And Dumbledore says, no, I need Snape. And he specifically asked for Snape. And I wonder if it's kind of like Lupin when Lupin needed his Wolfsbane potion, where it's like someone else could make the potion, but Snape is the best person for the job because he's such a good potioner. Whereas in this case, I don't know, because we know that Snape has made a promise to kill Dumbledore or to to give it to him straight if he's not going to survive. So I just wasn't sure. I was just curious what your thoughts were. Yeah, no, I I wondered that too, which almost makes the blow of Dumbledore dying this chapter, this day, maybe even a little less, if that is the case, that he would have had to die either way, that he's already decided to do this thing, and that no matter what happened, that Snape was going to have to kill him today. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's very interesting because we know from the prince's tale that Dumbledore only had a year from the time he injured his hand until he was going to, the curse was going to spread anyway. So it's like, everything's coming together. Dumbledore knows he's at the end of his life. Anyway, Yeah, I wasn't, I really wasn't sure, but I do agree with you that if not this day, it's got to be soon, you know, within the next month or two that the curse that Dumbledore has been afflicted with from the Horcrux is going to spread. So Snape also must in some ways know that at a certain point he's going to get the call from Dumbledore and that it'll be that call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, which almost makes reading it, I don't know if it's reading it backwards or just, I do think it's reading it backwards. It almost makes it even so much more sad because of how much Harry beat himself up. And we know that no matter what, Dumbledore was going to die within a year. And it, it just, that that fact doesn't seem to dissuade Harry from blaming himself. But again, he doesn't really find out to the end of the seventh book. And so um, it is just really sad to be like, Harry, you're just, you're, you're displacing your anger somewhere it shouldn't be. Right. You're And you're carrying that guilt because you think you were responsible because you, you know, you didn't drink the potion when Dumbledore was doing everything he did to get onto the tower and make sure Harry was protected, knowing that even if he survived this night, he didn't have very long to live anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A small thing before we dive in a little further is there was, whenever they land in Hogsmeade, I find it interesting. Um, it says that Harry felt a searing stitch in his chest. And do you think that was like his intuition? Um, I believe that's page 579, but was that his intuition feeling that? What What was that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've had stitches. I get them from running usually, oh. like physical exertion. And so it's weird because they weren't swimming to get out of the cave. They apparate out of the cave. But to me, like, I, I would get them when I run and I'm, like, respirating. So maybe it was just the stress of doing his first apparition. Like, he leads the apparition and you don't you can't catch your breath in the apparition. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it really was just from exertion, which that would make sense. I just wasn't sure. It just seemed like a weird, a random thing that was said in the chapter and I wasn't sure what it meant. But I like that explanation. <laughs> Yeah. To me, every description of apparition sounds awful. So it sounds very physically uncomfortable. So I could see if you're under extreme stress and then you have to apparate, you have to lead an apparition for the first time and it's it's life or death that that might cause you to have like a, basically a muscle spasm and you can't catch your breath when you get to the other side. Yeah, fair. Okay. So the next thing I had is a whole bunch of notes from the interaction between Malfoy and Dumbledore, which is really the meat of this chapter. Uh, it's Malfoy explaining everything about how, how he came to get the Death Eaters into the castle and what he's been doing all year. But the one that stuck out the most to me was the line where Dumbledore basically praises Malfoy for his plan. He says, it's actually a pretty darn good plan. And it says, Malfoy seemed to draw courage and comfort from Dumbledore's praise, which I immediately interpreted as, this is a child, young man who has not received praise enough because even when he's literally opposed to someone and they give him praise it actually makes him feel better and I thought that that was a really interesting little insight into Malfoy's character also that Dumbledore says we can hide your mother mm -hmm. your father's safe in Azkaban we will move your mother and keep her safe when we know from last season that it's Malfoy's mom it's Narcissa that he cares about that he listens to that he does everything for and so it's really interesting because you know Malfoy at this point is so terrified of, of Voldemort killing him and his family he can't see that there are any other options but Dumbledore kind of knows what to say to try and convince him yeah yeah absolutely I agree I, I did like this insight into Malfoy's character and you know we talked about it last episode about how Harry actually felt kind of sorry for him and I think we did too you know once we read that we also felt sorry for him because he does seem like this very confused kid you know he just wants to save his family and that is kind of all he's been taught by his mother and by his father is that their family is utmost importance and I do understand that yeah it's insightful just to see to see Malfoy and how he interacts with that and that he is so kind of easily won too because it seems like he was going to give in to Dumbledore he was like okay if he really can protect my mom then you know let's do it but I will say I loved the interaction the most because I loved seeing Dumbledore at work. Because although it was a form of manipulation, he was being true and he was being honest. 
Maybe you're right, maybe Dumbledore was about to die because of the poison and Dumbledore had kind of resigned to that. And even at his last moment, he was trying to save Malfoy's soul and seeing the best in people, even at the moment telling him, do not say mud blood in front of me. Absolutely not. And Malfoy's like, seriously? That's what you care about? I'm about to kill you and you don't want me to say mudblood? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Don't do that. Even he's trying to teach him, even as he's like, you know, pretending or thinking he's about to kill him, Dumbledore refuses to give up on, on good. Yeah, I mean, this is it is really interesting to watch Dumbledore be a teacher, basically, because he's not teacher for the majority of the series. I mean, we obviously haven't read that recently. And for those who are listening, new listeners, we are restraining from reading the rest of the series in any order, because we're working through on this podcast. But Dumbledore is headmaster, and he doesn't really interact with the students very much. He has very few conversations, very uneducational. This book is really the first time he's working as a teacher when he's doing these private lessons with Harry. And now you see him doing the same kind of education trying to help young these young people make sense of this very weird and dangerous world that they find themselves and I think in some ways trying to save he's trying to save the young men that from making the mistakes maybe he thinks he made himself right because we always have to remember now we know Dumbledore's backstory he looks at Harry he looks at Malfoy and he sees the the young man at the same age when he made his own worst mistakes in his mind right and so he looks and he says like I I do know trust me Draco like you think I'm just always this benevolent good old man I was a young man and I made mistakes and I went toward the dark side and I don't want you to go there yeah, yeah, that's an extremely good point. In fact, I have written down, he even says, killing is not as easy as the innocent believe, which of course leads me to believe, which I'm not, maybe I'm not remembering correctly, that means Dumbledore has killed because he's no longer considering himself innocent. Or he thinks, I mean, I would say probably that's him believing he killed Ariana or believing he doesn't know and he takes the guilt as though he did. He, he bears that weight because he doesn't know who dealt the killing blow against Ariana. Oh, mm. Stab me in the heart, Valerie. God. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> well, that's the only one we know about, but I would guess now that we know, so, you know, this is actually, we're talking about it, and I'm thinking, like, this is a really good section where we begin to see the character that now J.K. Rowling writing this Dumbledore understands the backstory we're going to get in Deathly Hollows. She understands the pieces that make him up that will make sense of him when we get to the very end, when we meet him at King's Cross and he explains it all finally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her writing is just, it's always constantly surprising me, right? You find these little tidbits and she just did such a good job of laying that that map layout. Yeah, I was listening to episode three yesterday and I realized that the, we were talking very briefly and I can't remember if I left it in the final cut or not about uh, the new fan. Fantastic Beast movie and my comment was like it just wasn't up to the storytelling standards of, that I have and I was like that's because the storytelling standards are so high this is like for your first major fiction work to write a seven book series that you one completed because let's not talk about George R.R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones and two is so incredibly cohesive and well tied together is a real testament to her talent and I know she's been in the headlines lately and it's never good but these books are truly incredible works of storytelling and we I think that's why people still love them and they they have the power that they do even against whatever is going on in the headlines. I mean, yeah, that's why we're still talking about it. That's why 20 years later we have a podcast about it because it is so powerful and she did such an incredible job that it's just a work of art. Mm -hmm. So one thing, and I almost hate to go backwards, but I have 
to talk about it just for a split second and it's back about Draco. Did you, did you find it interesting? It actually was surprising to me because I didn't remember. There is a moment where Draco kind of snaps and he gets mad because Professor Dumbledore is talking about Snape and he immediately becomes super jealous of Snape and says that he's going to be the Dark Lord's favorite and he'll forget about Snape. And I found that super interesting because of course, like you said, the moment Dumbledore gives him an ounce of praise, he is immediately happy, you know? He just, he obviously needs love, but I did find it interesting for someone who we know in the seventh book is understandably extremely, extremely scared of Voldemort and does not like him being in his house. He doesn't see it as, you know, a blessing as like some of the Death Eaters might. Yeah, I just, it, it felt a little almost out of character. It's almost as if Maybe that's like, a, maybe it was a turning point where he could have gone one of two ways, you know, like decide like if I kill him, I am going to be evil and I am going to be maybe revered by Voldemort. And instead, maybe Dumbledore was able to talk him off that ledge. I don't know. Yeah, well, and I can't imagine it went well for the Malfoys when all the other Death Eaters report back to Voldemort that Draco couldn't do it. Like he didn't do the job. Like, yeah, Snape did it. Of course Snape did it. Because Snape is, Snape does whatever needs to be done. And Snape, in fact... And we are, I, I'm going to jump around and we obviously are, are not going to get to this for a while, but the unbreakable vow that Snape has to protect Malfoy and do the work that the Dark Lord has asked, I think compels Snape in multiple ways. So he has, Dumbledore has made him promise to kill him and Narcissa's, her unbreakable vow with him means that he has to protect Malfoy and that may include protecting his soul. So Snape is like both magically and morally compelled to do what he does when he kills Dumbledore. But I think... There's a scene off, you know, like off screen where Voldemort learns what actually happens at the top of the tower. And I can't imagine that goes well for the Malfoys because Draco has failed, even though the final outcome is okay. And it was Snape who did it. And like, okay, well, thank you, Snape. You know, like I'm in Voldemort right now. Like, thank you, Snape. I appreciate it. But like Malfoy, you still fail. Draco, you're still a failure. And so that might be what also brings him to being so afraid of the Dark Lord by that point is something has happened which the Dark Lord has turned against the Malfoys. And we know that from the first chapters of Deathly Hallows where he's making fun of them. He's insulting them in their own home. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. It probably did not go well, but he didn't kill them, which is kind of surprising. And maybe off screen, again, Snape was like convinced him not to. I don't know. Or maybe, I don't know. We also talked last season about the sacred 28 or 27, whatever the, there's only a certain number of pureblood families. Mm -hmm. So even at the end of Deathly Hallows, Voldemort's willing to take Neville Longbottom and Neville's like a blood traitor, right? He's he's on the wrong side, but he's like, but you're pureblood and we'll work through all the other issues we have with your personal beliefs, but we will not spill pureblood if we can avoid it. Because, you know, there's only a few families, right? We need everyone you can get on your side. So that might be it too, is like, yeah, I won't kill you, but you're definitely not in my good books anymore and I'm going to take advantage of you and I'm going to torture you or whatever I decide I want to do, but I won't kill you, which is actually scarier, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. That's 100% what it is, is yeah, they're they're too precious, you know, can't have too many inbred little witches and wizards running around. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last note that I have from this chapter is the one right at the end where Dumbledore says to Severus, Severus, please, he's asking him. I always read that as he's asking him to keep his word. You know what you have to do. I need you to do it. And it says Snape gazed it for a moment at Dumbledore and there was revulsion and hatred etched into the harsh lines of his face. And that is such an interestingly written line when we know he doesn't hate Dumbledore and he's not revolted by Dumbledore. 
It's internal. He's it's actually for for once, well not for once, because actually Snape does it all the time, where his emotions that he expresses are what he feels about himself. It's over and over, like he just reflects out what he's feeling. And it's all about him having to do this work that he doesn't want to have to do. And I think that's one of the most powerful lines once you know the full story. Yeah, I agree. Immediately it was very, very sad. And that was the moment when I first read the books that I knew for sure. Like I always I almost always believe that Snape was somehow a good guy, and that was the moment that I was like, nope, he didn't want to do it. He did not want to do it. Mm. See, I didn't know. I questioned that Snape was a bad guy because he looks like a bad guy. (laughs) He acts like a bad guy. But that's part of the point. We talked about that last episode, I think it was, where we said, you know, the point is that you shouldn't judge people until you know their whole story, until you see everything and all all that it means to them. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She has a really, really wonderful way of doing that in these books. And yeah. You're right. You ever wonder how that, we're, we're going too long, but I can't help it, like how that would have affected our psyche is like, I mean, I know I was a little bit older, but like learning those lessons young, that like not judging a book by its cover. And you know, it's not just about saying it, it's about learning it. And God, these books just do that over and over. Just kind of magical. Mm-hmm. I think that's why they're so powerful. And they retain that every time you read it, you get that same power back out of them. Well, I don't think there's any cheery, happy way to wrap this one up. I mean, it's obviously one of the darkest chapters. I think this is one of the darkest chapters in the entire series in in terms of the outcome. So I think with that, we will uh, we will wrap it up. Uh, as a reminder, we love to get ratings and reviews. If you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can go into your podcast player and leave us a five-star rating and review. We really appreciate those. You can also always email us any feedback that you have if you heard something or you know about that tabletop Harry Potter game that I really want to be playing and I need to know more about. You can email podcast at followthebutterflies.com and you can always find us on social media. Yep. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, Bell Jar Pod. Please reach out, message me, comment on one of our posts, however you please. I love, love to hear from you. Yep. And with that, we'll wrap it up. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode and we hope you enjoy it. See you tomorrow. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project and is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.